0: I'm Wayne B, Recovered Alcoholic from Sheffield, England. Thanks for having me today. Asking me to uh, let you know what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. Or as they say today, uh, sharing our experience, strength, and hope. Um, it's good to be here. Uh, I like this meeting. Uh, lots of friendly faces that I know on here. Um, I always feel at home. Um, and it was, I've been thinking about today, you know, uh, throughout the day, you know, I was thinking, oh no, I've got to do that main share. <laughs> what am I gonna say? Um, and it just takes me back to that first time I did the main share. I got there on a Friday night just thinking, you know, will I even be able to speak for 30 seconds in the meeting? Cause I was terrified. And then my sponsor told me that I was booked to do the main share that evening without telling me and i ran into the kitchen you know when he was making a cup of coffee cup of coffee beforehand and i was like there's no way i can do it i'm absolutely petrified um you know this is one of the reasons why i had to drink the courage to speak in public um and he basically gave me two choices you know he said uh, you either do it or basically go back to what you were doing and i learned early on that i was gonna have to do things in recovery uh, usually the complete opposite of what I want to do, things that are good for me, um, what I think is good for me, uh, especially back then, we're sitting on the couch watching The Simpsons, <laughs> you know, and not doing these things that that basically I didn't want to do. Um, and I've learned the best way to do a main share is not to script it, you know, not to tell the same story every single time, it gets boring. It's not meant to be a formula. Um, if I just tell you what happened, you know, and and uh, what it was like and then what it's like today, I can't go wrong with that, you know, because it's my story. I know it best. Um, but the one thing I specifically remember from my childhood was that my dad was an alcoholic and that I didn't want to end up to be like him. Uh, I was 100 percent determined, you know, that and cigarette smoking, um, two disgusting habits that I didn't like about him. I didn't really understand what alcoholism was. All I knew was that he let me down. Uh, And then one day he just told me, you know, he was going to Alcoholics Anonymous, that he was an alcoholic. Uh, I didn't know that's what the label was, for what was wrong with him. Um, You know, like I said, he was just unreliable with with doing things with me, with going to work, with always sleeping in. Uh, I would find him passed out in the bathtub, and then, as well, I distinctly remember him fighting with my mum, uh, getting physical, him hitting her, her hitting him back. You know, so I had a very negative view uh, of alcohol and alcoholism. Um, then, you know, it says in the big book where Abby visits Bill, I've got religion, then that's what happened to my dad. You know, you couldn't have picked a worst case scenario for then my view of AA because I confused the two. You know, now my dad's telling us, like it says in the book, uh, what we should be doing. You know, our our uh, lives aren't living up, you know, to what God intended. We're not, you know, spiritual enough. We should be praying and meditating, going to church. Um, so I had a negative view of, of alcoholism and a negative view of AA and recovery. I'm pretty sure that's why it's the last place I went to. One, because I knew it worked, but two, uh, I didn't really like what i thought it was you know it turns out it was nothing like uh what i thought it was i got it all wrong um and that's really you know the extreme he went to not, not what aa says um it's a spiritual not a religious program but but eventually i started to like it you know i my dad's american um and my dad's sponsor in america had a swimming pool you know so we would hang out at his, at his dad's sponsors sorry at my dad's sponsor's house you know, swimming in the pool while they did the step work or whatever. And then, you know, in the the 80s, I went to lots of meetings, 70s and 80s. Uh, Kids were around everywhere, so it was a fun place to be. There was loads and loads of cigarette smoke, that's the one thing I do remember, and men in suits. Um, But eventually, one day, my dad sat me down and, and he basically said that the children of alcoholics are something like 80 times more likely to be an alcoholic than normal people. And I didn't like that statistic or that prediction. And I thought, I will show you. (laughs) Uh, You know, I already knew I wasn't gonna end up like him. And now that if I do drink, you know, I'm gonna make sure I don't drink like he did. Um, And for me, my first drink was on the way to the youth club in Doncaster, I think about 1983. And I specifically remember a group of lads in a circle. Somehow they managed to buy cider uh, underage and I remember trying it and I remember it felt like, uh, what I would describe as a spiritual awakening. You know, I liked the effect. It, it talks about that in the big book. You know, I would say I love the effect. It's a bit of an underestimate of that. Like the effect. And I wanted more and, and I, I felt like I had the craving from the get go. I want more of that. Uh, and I'm thinking about it now and all the things I thought I couldn't do on the way to the youth club. Like headbanging to ACDC. As soon as hell's bell started, that was it. I was on the dance floor headbanging. Um, talking to girls, I was petrified of them. I couldn't even look at them in the eyes, you know, and now I could, you know, uh, talk to somebody and be funny. So, all the things, you know, previously where I felt different and, and terminally unique, uh, I now had a solution to that. And that's probably, you know, most people's experience with alcoholism, but for me, it was magnified um it didn't help like i said my dad's american and my mum's english so in england i felt like you know different because i'm thinking i wish i was in america and and in america i felt different when i lived there i wish i was back in the uk um plus i had the difference you know that we all experience with alcoholism you know we we, are basically abnormal uh, we're only normal, we only feel normal when we got alcohol into our system. That treats what's wrong with us. And and being stone cold sober for an alcoholic is an abnormal state. I didn't know that, you know, as a teenager. Um, but like I said, that next week when the youth club was approaching, I was already thinking about it the Monday before. You know, the, the obsession, the, the obsessive thoughts that I want to do that again. Uh, i want to change the way i feel you know i love that um and and that was my teenage years basically i think at 14 i blacked out at a party and somehow i ended up in a bin outside Uh, i think some kids thought it would be funny to put me in it but i have no recollection of them doing that or how i got there you know i just woke up in a in a big black bin uh with my legs hanging out and that sort of thing started to happen more and more in my teenage years and definitely in college i remember going to a party in america and having what was called grain alcohol uh, and it was mixed with like uh, orange squash i don't know what they call it in america kool-aid so you couldn't even taste the alcohol uh, and i was a designated driver that night and i woke up the next morning and i did no i had no recoll- recollection of how i got home You know, did I drive? Did I crash the car? with the people in the car? There was like four of them. Were they dead? Were they alive? You know, and of course, everything went smoothly, (laughs) Um, you know, and I got away with it scot-free and I told myself I'll never do that again. But of course I did. And basically throughout my college years, by this time I'm in America at university, um, the weekend started on a Thursday and then a Wednesday and then a Tuesday and then a Monday. And I was justified why I went out, you know, it was socially to see people, to have a meal, you know, but the others went home after the meal. You know, I carried on drinking or I would find things like uh, the bar had specials on a Monday night, drinks half price, or you could play pool there. So I always had a reason for going there um, and it usually wasn't to get drunk, but that's always what happened. When I started, like I said, from a teenager, I couldn't stop. Uh, I didn't understand how to moderate or how to uh, not have it. You know, once I started, I couldn't stop. And for me, there was always two outcomes, either blacked out or passed out. Uh, Obviously, I didn't know what blacking out was until I got to AA. So for me, it was all just passing out, you know, And, and the bits of the evening that I couldn't remember, that I just assumed was part of, you know, being hungover and being drunk, that part of the evening just disappeared. Um, I later learned that that, the, that basically I was a blackout drinker, you know, I didn't know that. Um, and s- things started to happen in college, you know, everyone else graduated in the time you were supposed to, and I needed extra time to graduate. So I managed to do it, but I had to stay there longer than normal. Uh, I had to drop a bunch of classes that, you know, I started to miss lessons, lectures, um, and add new classes and things like that. Uh, I also started to do things, consequences of drinking, that's what I'm going to call it. Uh, for instance, you know, I'm coming back from a shop at 9 a.m. Uh, and I don't see a van that's parked in front of a stop sign. Next thing you know, I've hit a car and completely totaled my car. Uh, and, and an American police officer gives me a ticket, you know, and um, I blame the post office van, you know, it was in the way of the stop sign. Not the fact that I've been drinking till 4 a.m. and then I got in a car at 9 a.m. and I'm probably still drunk. Um, and what I didn't realize was I had a progressive illness and over time, things were getting worse, not better. And like I said, there started to be consequences, uh, stealing money uh, from work. I was working part-time the whole time that I was at university. Um, missing lectures, totaling my car, um and then things would happen like i mentioned about being a blackout drinker i went to ask somebody out uh and and basically she must have said yes but because i was a blackout drinker i forgot about it this is a funny story and then three hours later i asked her roommate out you know will you go out on a date with me and she said yes and oh, i wanted to go out with this girl for years Uh, completely forgetting that I'd asked a roommate out, you know, three hours earlier. So the next morning I called the girl, the second one, so excited, you know, she said yes. And I've never had somebody shout down at the phone at me so much, you know, how dare you, what what are you thinking, you asked my roommate out, did you not think we'd know? And I had no clue whatsoever any of this had even happened, you know. And, And I'm not that kind of guy, you know, I wouldn't ask two girls out that lived in the same house, that's just craziness um but these are the kinds of things that started to happen you know some of it was bad and then like crashing the car some of it was funny like this um it hadn't got to the point where i thought of myself as being an alcoholic but even at this early stage i'd go back and visit my dad in the holidays and stuff and one time i think it was about three or four in the morning and he came out of my grandma's house looking for me and i was passed out in a snowdrift Uh, and i'd completely just passed out blacked out couldn't get in the house um and the next day he gave me my first alcoholics anonymous meeting list and said that he thought i might be an alcoholic i immediately put in a bit put the meeting list in the bin i was absolutely adamant i wasn't an alcoholic and i blamed it on tequila you know dad i'm not used to tequila if you you know, I tried a different brand of alcohol, you know, that you weren't used to, you know, you might have had this extreme reaction. From now on, I'm just going to drink beer, you know, and he was smart enough to know, you know, that I wasn't done yet and he left it alone. Um, and then eventually I graduated university and, and made it back uh, to London, um, to England. Uh, my friend said I could stay with him. Uh, he was down there at uni and, and in the end, I moved, moved to London. Um, a very stressful job my first one and everyone went out afterwards uh, you know drinking heavily so i use that as an excuse um i also had whiplash in my neck uh from the car accident so now i'm drinking because of stress i'm drinking because of pain um and alcoholic alcoholics i since have learned just drink because we're alcoholics you know we don't need an excuse Um, If I didn't have the pain, if I didn't have a stressful job, you know, I'd have drunk anyway. Um, And and basically, it became a daily thing by this point. Um, I started standing my friends up, you know, I used to go out with them clubbing or to the movies or whatever, an art gallery, museum, you know, and now I'm not showing up, you know, I'm I'm doing what I say uh, I shouldn't be doing all the time. I'm doing it behind people's backs, I'm hiding it. I was spending all my money on it. Um, I started to pawn things at cash converters and and, and basically um, also started getting into drugs as well. Um, And now I've got two problems. Uh, You know, I thought if I swap one thing for something else, I'll be okay. Um, But what I learned in AA is the only thing that treats alcoholism, is the 12 steps of spiritual awakening and, and those other things i tried whether it was drugs whether it was geographicals whether it was changing job changing girlfriend uh none of those things treated what was wrong with me you know i just carried on doing it i didn't realize that as well that i had an allergy uh, and that i had a mental obsession so i simply thought time away from it was the solution um And there's a a line in the book when there's not a cloud on the horizon. And the the longest I went after a detox, I think, was about three weeks. And it was a beautiful sunny day. And then the thought just came over me. And that was it. I'd relapsed. You know, I thought I had an effective defense against this, which was to remember how bad the suffering was, you know, going through a detox or to remember the consequences. But those easily, you know, were put to one side or they didn't even occur to me. You know, and I went on automatic pilot mode, and next thing you know, I'd relapse. Um, so now I'm starting to get professionals involved. You know, being honest with my GP, I thought the first step in recovery was admitting you had a problem. You know, I did that, but I didn't admit what kind of problem I had, what kind of level it was at, <laughs> and how bad it really was. You know, I wanted the doctor to like me, you know, and probably give me some medication. And send me on my way. I didn't really want to stop. Um, and at this point, I think uh, my roommates in London had had enough. They kicked me out of the flat. Um, I'd stopped working. I, I was unable to hold the job down. And, and it got to the point where I'd even tried to claim, uh, I think it was sickness benefit back then. And I couldn't even do that. You know, I think you only had to turn up every two weeks to sign on or something uh or maybe that was unemployment benefit um i couldn't do that that was it then i tried to get on sickness benefit and i think you need a doctor's certificate for that that was what it was and then i couldn't even make it to the doctor's appointment um so yeah i couldn't even do things you know like proper alcoholics could do which is sort out the benefits so they could carry on drinking um And at this point, you know, I'd lie to my employers. I'd stopped going into work for about six months. They fired me. Uh, I wasn't able to then get another job. Uh, It really progressed quite quickly. You know, I went from full-time job to not being able to work, to being unable to even sign on or get sickness benefit. Uh, In the meantime, I think I'd gone to services where they said they would send me to a rehab and they said I had to put it down by the time I got to the rehab, because the rehab did not have a detox facility. Uh, to me, this was like impending Doom D-Day, you know, that day approaching. So I I basically did what we shouldn't be doing even more. You know, I thought I had to get it all in now. Um, and then by the time I got there, I had an even bigger problem. And they said, Wayne, you do realize we don't have a detox facility, you know. And I was like, I'll be all right, you know, and they were all like going quad biking the next day and uh as soon as the detox started that was it. I was out the door and left <laughs> i think i must have been the the quickest patient they've ever had you know less than uh, 24 hours and i'd relapsed you know and and by this point my mum wanted nothing to do with me you know originally she was like we'll help you we'll do anything for you come stay with us you know and then at this point she was like you're not coming back here um and that's how i ended up in sheffield really you know i'd uh, no desire to live here Uh, no uh i I used to come to sheffield a lot as a kid you know and go to gigs there but really i knew nobody and it was supposed to be a fresh start i got on a music course uh, and even the tutors there used to laugh at me you know this guy shows up once a month he doesn't know anything about uh music production or the music industry and, and i quickly failed that course um the rehabs failed the medication failed trying to geographical again for about the third time failed and in a moment of desperation i ended up uh, robbing my landlord uh, because i had no money Uh, i I couldn't stop doing this and uh, he basically came back and was like you know uh, i'm going to the police but it'll look better for you if you basically turn yourself in so that's what i did i went with him um to the police station in Sheffield and turn myself in. And, and basically uh, I was in a cell and I prayed to God, you know, I never want to do this again. Uh, then I was in a magistrate's cell, then I was in front of a judge. And then as soon as the judge let me out, the prayers went out the window and I relapsed, <laughs> you know, and that, that's the only experience I have of God before recovery was it was a get out of jail God you know, and I didn't understand about turning my will and my wife over to the care of him. I didn't understand about the first one, you know, it was too many, that it would start this terrible cycle in motion. Um, I didn't understand that I had done nothing to treat the mental obsession. And they basically, the judge stuck me in this bail hostel because I had nowhere to live. Uh, I was homeless and, and they basically needed to know where to find me if they were going to sentence me. Um, And up till this point, I remember specifically thinking, if this happens, rock bottom, i.e., lose my job, I'm never going to drink again. And then that happened. You know, if I sell all my possessions, rock bottom, I'll never do it again. I'll stop, you know, and and rock bottom just kept happening. Uh, My mum kicked me out. I couldn't hold the job down. I got fired. My friends didn't want to hang out with me anymore. My family abandoned me for three Christmases. I wasn't allowed to go visit them. Um, And then eventually I'm in this bail hostel and everyone in there is in there for a crime they've committed, uh, waiting for sentencing. And they're all alcoholics and pretty much all heroin addicts as well. I think there might have been a couple of uh, crack cocaine addicts, but they were in the minority. So they all had some kind of substance abuse issues. And I had basically three months until the next court date where they were going to decide what to do with me. And the judge and the sport worker said, you know, this would really go in your favor if you basically stopped doing this, you know, then we can say you're sober. Uh, You're trying to turn your life around. So now I've got a really good reason why I shouldn't be doing something. And I tried and tried and tried with willpower. I tried and tried and tried with mental power not to think about it. And basically, uh i kept doing it you know every day um and that, that's what happened basically for me willpower didn't work and trying not to think about it coming up with reasons why i shouldn't do it didn't work either and then one day i hit what turned out to be a uh, real rock bottom and and what i've learned since is rock bottom isn't uh, a specific event because you know we all experience different rock bottoms For some of those guys they might have gone on to prison and and many of them in there had been to prison a number of times you know so it's it's not an outside circumstance and eventually i learned it's an internal condition where you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired and you cry out to whatever please god help me i've had enough and that's what i did i was on my knees didn't want to do it anymore i couldn't not do it um And basically I got the first direction I've had from a higher power, which is to go to AA. And that's what I did. Um, So for me, that experience like Bill had when he was in town's hospital, that white light experience, uh, that's what I had when I was on my knees that day. So I actually got to experience God and know God before I came to AA and did the steps. What the steps did for me was show me how to turn my will and my life over to the care of God and also how to depend on God and how to have a long lasting and continuing relationship with God. You know, not to get out of jail, God, Um, and not just what I would explain as like being on ecstasy (laughs) a white light, God. You know, this uh, knowledge and experience, if I was gonna continue with it, I had to actually do something. And when I got to AA, I learned that there were things that were blocking me from God, Uh, my character defects the things I'd done in the past. Um, my ego, you know, uh, my thinking I can always solve the problem and always needing to be right. These were the things that were gonna get in my way in the future. And eventually, if unless I did something about it, I would relapse. Um, so like I said, I went to a meeting uh, in Sheffield. It was, uh, I think on a Wednesday, the beginners meeting. It's not there anymore on Abbeydale Road, it's now in town. And basically I was told to get a sponsor. I got one straight away. I bought the big book, uh, started reading it, started going to a meeting every day. He quite quickly said, you know, we need to do step work. Write your step one down. He got me to write down examples of why I was powerless. You know, all the times I couldn't control it. uh, And then why my life was unmanageable. And it was slightly different than the big book. You know, the big book, my life's unmanageable because I can't manage that decision to stay away from it. Uh, You know, I suffer from that insanity. This time is gonna be different. This time I can control it. Um, And and basically I can't stay stopped unless I treat that mental obsession. Um, For him, it was more about my life's unmanageable because I'm in a bail hostel. My life's unmanageable because I can't work. My life's unmanageable because I'm in debt. You know, my friends and family don't want to know me. It was a good start. You know, it got me to see that step one was true. Um, I've since learned a lot more, you know, about what the step really intended when I got a big book sponsor. Um, But like I said, I had God in my life and and we quickly went through the steps. Um, As far as step two went, I was restored to sanity, that obsession to drink. Was removed, and early on in that bail hostel, somebody wanted me uh, to go out, you know, and do previously what I didn't want to do. But now I felt like I was in a neutral position. It almost was like I never had the problem to start with. It had been removed, and he talks about this later on in the book. We've been restored to sanity. You know, we couldn't drink even if if, if we wanted to. Um, it's almost like the problem didn't exist or we've never had it. And, and that was my experience. You know, I wasn't white knuckling it anymore. Um, I was in an environment where everyone was drinking and taking drugs and I didn't want to do it. You know, if, if anyone should have had an excuse for being a chronic relapser, it should have been me in there because everyone was doing it. Um, and even the staff didn't want me to be going to meetings. They weren't used to somebody that was sober. And they had a curfew, you were supposed to be back there by nine o'clock. And of course the meetings didn't finish till nine. And they were always trying to bust me, you know, thinking I would have relapsed. You know, they were they would uh, search my room or whatever. They never found nothing. <laughs> you know, and, and and basically eventually they got the gist that i changed, you know, when I was saying I was at a meeting, that's actually where I was. You know, I wasn't out doing what I shouldn't be doing. Um, I wasn't up to no good, and eventually I got off of probation um, six months early. You know, the the probation officer said, "I don't know what to do with you, Wayne. We don't have people like you normally." Uh, and it's AA that changed me, you know. And the thing that was really important was making that decision at step three to turn my will and my life over to the care of God, because from then on, uh, I started to live a different way you know i wasn't doing the old things i used to do that old behavior and i'm not just talking criminal things i'm talking selfish things being self-centered uh, letting my character defects drive me um and in step four and five i learned basically i'd always held people to a higher standard than myself uh, resentments uh i was told was replaying the same thing over and over in my head wanting to get even with them getting angry, getting indignant. Uh, and I used to have this all the time for years with my dad. And then my sponsor got me to see, you know, hang on a sec, Wayne, you're holding him to a higher standard than you held yourself. What do you mean? He's an alcoholic. Well, Wayne, what are you? (laughs) And then it dawned on me, oh yeah, you know, I'm an alcoholic. And eventually I'd go and make amends to my dad at step nine and fast forwarding a bit. You know, and I was like, Dad, I want to apologize. You know, I always was mad at you for being an alcoholic. You know, it turns out I'm one too. Uh, And my granddad, who I never met, died before I was born. And I never knew why. And my dad was able to tell me, Wayne, your granddad was an alcoholic. You know, that's what I experienced as well. Uh, I never had anyone teach me how to be a parent. You know, I was doing the best I can. And it really made me compassionate, you know, and forgive my dad. Um, And he forgave me, you know, for all the things I did when I was drinking the stuff I put him through the sleepless nights. Um, And I went through all these resentments. There was loads on there. You won't believe it. I was even resentful against Margaret Thatcher. (laughs) And uh, at the time, in the 1980s, there was a song, Free Nelson Mandela. And she wouldn't, you know, uh, get on board with that. She was like, he's a terrorist. and. I had such a resentment about it. I'm like, you're the terrorist, Margaret Thatcher. You know, you've destroyed the mining industry. You know, uh, also at the time I was in the football team and the teachers went on strike and 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 basically all the football was canceled, you know, because of uh, what Thatcher did. And they, they used to even call her Thatcher, Thatcher milk snatcher, because she, she basically got rid of the, the free milk, you know? And I was like, there's no way I'm ever, you know, forgiving her. You know, and uh, by doing the inventory, uh, a couple of years later in recovery, they actually released a movie, you know, and she went to visit the queen in the movie and and basically the royal family snubbed her and didn't let on that they were going on a hunt and Thatcher turned out, you know, she's got a full-on dress on and and high heel shoes, and the royal family are laughing at her. And I, I actually felt sympathy for somebody that you know that I used to hate, you know, and I realized I'd forgiven her. You know, and there there were loads of these amends, you know, against the... uh, Not amends, sorry. Resentments against the police and kids that bullied me at school. Uh, And then we did a fear inventory, and I didn't think I was a fearful person, you know. And the real... the realisation was that I had all the fears, and I pushed them all down because of... because of uh, drinking, and I basically didn't have to deal with them. Um, but basically once I was stone cold sober, all the fears were starting to come back. You know, now I'm, uh, in fear. I'm going to relapse. Now I'm in fear. Uh, I'll never get a job again. Now I'm in fear. What do they think about my criminal record? Um, and eventually my sponsor got me to see, you know, you held these people to a higher standard with the resentments, uh, you know, for things you did yourself. And now with the fears, you're always trying to solve your own problems, you know, rather than rely on God. And then when we did the the sex harm stuff, you know, I thought, well, that's to do with drinking that, you know. Um, you know, things I did when I was a blackout drinker, you know, but it turns out, you know, I was still selfish and self-centered in that area when I got sober. And that's why I needed to do an inventory. I needed to do a complete overhauling of what i was like um and eventually my past would become my greatest asset you know originally i was ashamed about everything and now i'm actually willing to share it all and divulge it with another alcoholic because i can help them um and things basically progressed you know i was willing to ask god to remove my character defects Uh, i didn't want to live like this anymore um what else happened? Then we got to step nine. One of the first amends I made was to my mum uh, for all the stuff I put her through and I paid back lots of money. Uh, like I said, I had a lot of card debt. And my bank accounts were overdrawn. I committed a lot of fraud. Um, so I had to contact a lot of people you know, and pay a lot of money back. I think I paid something like 20,000 pounds back in the end Uh, It was going to take 12 years with all these different agreements, but I managed to pay it back in three. Uh, I got the willingness. Uh, At one point, I sold my second-hand car and my record collection so I could do it quickly. Um, And at some point along the way, I forgot to mention, I got Cliff as my sponsor in Dallas, Texas. Um, I'd heard these guys, Myers and Chris Raymer, on speaker tapes, and I'd written to them, you know, will he sponsor me? And they weren't available. Uh, but they said, do you want us to put you in touch uh, with our sponsor? Well, Myers did with his sponsor. And Cliff basically hammered me. I wasn't expecting it, but he said, basically, you don't know the first thing about alcoholism. And, and like I said, I didn't know about the allergy and about the mental obsession or even about the alcoholic insanity. You know, all I knew was my desire to drink was gone. Uh, I was busy being a meeting maker, make it, doing lots of service and always being a recovering alcoholic. But at a certain point, I hit a rock bottom in recovery. I think I was six years sober and I reached out to Cliff and and he basically took me through the book, you know, the doctor's opinion. I learned I have an allergy. Uh, When I start, I can't stop. I've got a craving beyond my control. And I learned about the mental obsession. And now the stuff my first sponsor took me through started to all fall into place. The missing bits. Oh, you know, about the ABCs. and i learned why uh, i was the way i was you know i was a real alcoholic versus the hard drinker and the moderate drinker i didn't know these things you certainly never heard them in sheffield Um, and i didn't know uh you know the history of aa and what the founders did about approaching alcoholics about working with others about spending all my time doing it um and that's that's basically the missing pieces, you know, I started going to go into to a lot of big book studies with Cliff um, and we went through the whole 12 steps again. And I realized I were missing out on a lot of stuff. When I did step three, I really only turned my alcoholism over to God, not my will and my life. And as a result, I kept being selfish and self-centered. Um, And I was unhappy. Like I said, I hit a sec- second rock bottom in recovery. My ego had rebuilt and I didn't know that. Um, I didn't learn until I did step five with him. Like I said about that exact nature of my wrongs—that I was always holding people to a higher standard. Uh, I was resentful, you know, at middle of the road AA now, you know, for not doing it right, not taking on board that I didn't do it right myself. You know, now I'm not like that. You know, I don't tell people they're doing recovery wrong. I simply say, is it working for you or not? And if it is, you know, my hat's off to you. You can be whatever you want in AA. Uh, I'm not gonna. You know, have words with you. Um, step tens. I'd not been doing that very effectively. Um, I certainly wasn't doing it as soon as it was happening. You know, I was holding on to stuff, uh, and as a result, I'd go throughout the day resentful and fearful. Um, I wasn't making amends immediately, uh, and the most important bit, I wasn't turning my thoughts to helping others. And I learned, you know, it's not just people in the fellowship. It might be taking my neighbor. She's, you know, 80 to get a dog uh, seen to it, the vets, you know, it might be helping my mum get a blue badge, you know, all sorts of different things. Um, but eventually, you know, I became more effective. Uh, it talks about in the book being a maximum service. That's what I started to do. You know, I was a lot more helpful at work to my neighbors, to my family, to my friends. Uh, and then when we got to step 11, I was very good at praying um for things i thought i needed you know and then i started to do the prayers it says in the book contemplating the day thinking about the 24 hours and i started bringing god into uh what the day was looking like and 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 uh getting god to help me with everything and next thing you know i've turned my will and my life over to the care of god i didn't realize this is how you actually do it you know by getting the book out and following the directions and Doing what it says, um, and what my first sponsor did with meditation was he basically just, you know, said it's up to you what you believe it to be. So I went off to the Buddhist centre for a year, you know, not realising that I'm meant to be contemplating the 24 hours ahead. Uh, and like I said, bringing body to it, and finally, by the time I got to step 12, uh, Cliff got me to see that it says working with others not going to lots of meetings and doing lots of service, which is what I was doing. At one point I had eight AA service positions a week, and yet I was miserable. Like I said, I hit rock bottom. Um, This whole time when I was very busy in AA, I was obsessed all the time with what's going on for me. I only asked you how you were, so I could then immediately launch into, you know, The things i was in fear about or who i was resentful at or who wasn't doing things the way wayne wanted um when i did the steps following the directions in this book things started to change i really did have a spiritual awakening um and bill when he left towns hospital his first thought was maybe there's another alcoholic you know out there that might want this and that's what happened to me you know before the phone rang i was thinking who's disturbing me who's bothering me And now it's like, I actually wanna help you. And that was a big profound change for me. And now I'm starting to sponsor people, not just one, two or three, you know, as many as I can get. Uh, And I actually wanna do it, you know, and that's been a profound change. And it's taken up a lot of time. um, And that's been good for me. You know, now I'm not sitting around all day long thinking about my main problem, which is me, (laughs) my thinking. You know and how can i get out of this i'm trying to think my way out of my bad thinking Um, and instead now i'm asking god for help with all this stuff and i'm now focused on working with others um so that's my story in a nutshell i'll be 22 years sober on july the 14th Um, for me it's really worked the 12 steps of aa my life's completely changed. It's not been easy. I've had 10 illnesses, chronic illnesses in recovery. Uh, I've worked for the majority of it, but I've recently had to give up work because of ill health. Um, that I did not want to do. I wanted to keep working, but I had to look at it from a entirely different angle. Uh, imagine if you book me for four weeks and three weeks out of four, I don't turn up. You know, you're soon going to start get annoying, you know, annoyed with me. And that's the way I had to look at it. I want to work. Uh, I can work. I'm a really good worker, you know. And uh, at the end of the day, I'm not reliable. I can't sustain it. I'm I'm, uh, ill. Um, And that's not me that decided that. You know, I wanted to do the exact opposite. But I had to look at it from an entirely different angle. What's best for the employer? What do they want? You know, which is, uh, at the moment, I'm too ill to work. Um, But, you know, I can help people in the fellowship i can sponsor people i can get out of myself Uh, and also i've got you know a seven-year-old son that takes up a lot of time Uh, i love him to death you know and as soon as i'm off this call you know i'll be uh watching a video with him and snuggling with him uh and grateful you know for the time i get to spend with him he's never known me you know take a drink uh And he he actually doesn't even know I'm in AA or I'm an alcoholic. I haven't had that conversation with him yet. It's not come up. Um, But one day he will. One day he'll be proud of me, just like I was proud of my dad. My dad ended up going on to stay sober for 40 years in Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's amazing when I know what I know today. Bill W, 36 years. How did my dad beat Bill W? And if you'd have seen my dad's recovery, you'd have thought there's no way, there's no chance, you know, that guy's going to make it. Everything you could do wrong in recovery, he probably did. But he also did everything right. You know, everything he was asked to do, he did. And that's what got him through it in the long haul. You know, I make lots of mistakes and fall short in recovery. You know, I might stop uh, doing my evening review for a week and then I have to get back on and do it. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's progress, not perfection. And if I keep doing this, you know, I'll keep staying sober. And with that, I'll, uh, finish the talk.